I first met Paul and Linda briefly when we had opened the show for Wings during the concerts for the People of Cambodia series of benefit shows at the Hammersmith Odeon in 1979. Rock Pile and a special guest, Robert Plant, followed our rather wired and rattled performance. A few years ago, we met again in Texas. Robert told me that I'd walked up to him that night just as he was about to take the stage, got right in his face and just sneered, Stairway to Heaven, with a theatrical ear worthy of Johnny Rotten, Kenneth Williams, or some other pantomime dame. Robert said, in his still evident Kidderminster accent, I was going to punch you until Dave Edmonds told me he's just binding you up. Certainly wasn't in the spirit of brotherly love. That night, Robert Plant pulled his voice down from the usual helium heights and brought the house down with a couple of rocking Elvis Presley tunes that put our ramshackle set to shame Having watched most of the wings set from the stalls, I was now gathered side stage with Pete Thomas and Steve Naive to witness the finale of the show. Paul had decided that his more than 20-strong studio rock orchestra should close the show dressed in silver lemmy top hats and tails. Rockestra included all the members of Wings, John Paul Jones, and John Bonham of Led Zeppelin, Ronnie Lane, Jimmy Honeyman Scott of the Pretenders, Dave Edmonds, and Billy Bramner of Rockpile, and her bandmate, Bruce Thomas. In total, there were four bass players, three drummers, seven guitarists, and a horn section, more people than it is strictly necessary for playing Lucille, and an instrumental folly called the Rockestra theme. While everyone was getting plugged in, a heated discussion was going on just off stage between Paul, Linda, and a rather belligerent-looking Pete Townsend. It seems he was the only cast member who had absolutely refused to don the rather daft-looking band costume. And after a frank exchange of views, Paul and Linda took to the stage without him. Townsend looked around for his road manager, who handed him what appeared to be a bottle of Remy Martin. I was standing right behind him as he tore the foil off the neck, pulled out the stopper, and tipped as much of the bottle down his throat as I thought humanly possible in one long swallow. Wild-eyed and still dressed only in his own gray baggy suit, he proceeded to completely upstage the rest of the band. Jimmy Honeyman Scott, who was a sweet fellow with the heart of a fan, made the reckless choice of throwing shapes with his guitar in Townsend's direction. As if to egg him on, I thought, Oh no, you don't do that. You'll only make him mad. Townsend responded 
with a windmill. Such ferocity that I was surprised that any strings remained on his guitar. Jimmy gave a weak smile and retreated to a safer distance near his amp. Queen had opened these post-Christmas week benefit show with a Boxing Day concert, but the subsequent nights saw a collision between two or more generations of musicians, some who usually played arenas and had to scale down for the Hammersmith, Odeon, and bands like us who had yet to made it. To Shea Stadium, I attended the second night watching Ian Dury open for the Clash and returned the following evening to see the Pretenders and specialists on the bill with the who before appearing the final night, which turned out to be Wing's last ever concert.